Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of humankind was so much owed by so many can so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. I have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn about what it takes to turn your dreams into a reality. It's a day for all Australians, isn't it? It's a day that brings us all together. Marvellous. Four. Your hosts, Boo and Sean. Super excited by another uh, episode of The Few. G'day, Sean. How are you today, mate? Great, Boo. How you going, mate? Very, very good, mate. Uh, I'll tell you what, I've just been loving this opportunity uh, to have meaningful conversations with people that are living the dream, uh, effectively, but also uh, hearing what uh, living the dream is actually like. Uh, Every dream has both both sides to to every story. Today's guest is is someone that I'm super interested in having a chat to, uh, looking back uh, through his history. Uh, it's interesting because there's some parallels with some of the stuff I, I did. Uh, and um, our guest has been all over the world, done incredibly interesting things, hung out with some pretty uh, cool people, and just has that innate ability to constantly move forward no matter what's happening. And I think in, in today's world of massive disruption, uh, Rob Redenbach, who we're going to be talking to today, has had a deal with this stuff uh, in spades. Rob, how are you, mate? I'm great, Boo. How are you? Awesome, awesome. Hey, uh, thank you so much uh, for taking some time uh, out of your day to, uh, to to talk with us, mate, and share what is an incredible story. Um, so, Rob, tell us a little bit about yourself, mate. Are you living your life's purpose? I think I'm close to living my life's purpose. I'm certainly giving it a fair crack. <laughs> living your life purpose is certainly all about giving uh, everything a crack. Uh, Rob... One of the things that uh, we've noticed over the, the last few weeks, when we talk to people who are living a life that they really, really want to live or they're almost there, uh, there was some kind of connection in their past, some intrinsic motivator uh, that's always been there. Would you say the world, the life that you're living today was something that you thought you'd be living back when you were uh, a teenager? The realities of what I do for a living now, I didn't even know existed as a, a career or an employment opportunity. So the short answer is no. But I think there are some things that have uh, carried forward from, uh, say, like when I was uh, even at school to uh, my first real employment. I was involved in martial arts from quite a young age, and there's a great Japanese concept you've probably heard of called Kaizen, and it's the principle of continual improvement, that always chipping away mm. the small improvements that over time deliver large results. And looking back, I think that's something that's been a guiding influence for me and certainly allowed me to progress in ways that I, I truly couldn't have imagined when I was young. And the, the martial arts do instill a, a sense of discipline as well, don't they? A sense of structure, discipline, you know, that, that consistency is a big part of that as well. Yeah, that's very true, Sean. And I think it's the, there's a, a great martial artist called Masoyama and uh, had a, an extraordinary following at one stage and uh, he had a, a common uh, response to when people would say to me, so what's the secret of martial arts? <laughs> and it was always one word, sweat. And then he would go on with a second sentence, there is no other secret. Sweat really does go beyond the boundaries of any particular pursuit. And it's something that I think enables, and from what I've seen, enables people to move forward. So much truth in that in that statement, uh, Rob. It's conceptually very easy uh, to 
be successful or get to a destination. Uh, and I, I think uh, something we see a lot of with people that maybe don't live the life they want to lead is they make things excessively complicated. Um, therefore, I think there's more excuses to, to not get things done, but that implicit hard work uh, is, is fundamental. Now, Rob, just quickly, uh, before we have a bit more of an explore of, of Rob's life in general, uh, clearly one of the things that uh, stood out to me, and I think for a lot of our listeners, is the fact that you've met someone who's kind of a big deal. Uh, you've spent a little bit of time with Nelson Mandela. Uh, I, I've been to South Africa a couple of times and uh, explored uh, a, a lot of the areas and stories uh, that um, were that applied during uh, Nelson Mandela's time. What an incredible human being. What, what was that like? Oh, it was a great opportunity. I was very privileged and uh, probably more privileged than I deserved because I didn't know anyone in South Africa and uh, I'd been living up in Papua New Guinea for a couple of years, managing a security company up there. And during that period, Mandela had been released from prison. I was really good attention on the transition of uh, what was taking place there and the, the movement away from apartheid towards what was being called the Rainbow Nation, you know, democratic elections for the first time. And when Mandela uh, became president, I just thought, well, you know, I reckon that's a pretty interesting place right now. So I just jumped on a plane and I flew to South Africa. I didn't know anybody, but I had a training program that I'd been developing and refining for a few years. And I thought, I'll go across there and I'll teach it. <laughs> Probably more naive and ambitious or even confident. I just thought, yeah, why can't I? And there were lots of reasons why I, I couldn't. I think and, that- uh, one of them was I, I didn't speak the primary language, which is Afrikaans, and uh, to, at least for the uh, people that I was dealing with in government agencies, and uh, it, it was quite a slog. I think there's a, there's a bit of a theme, Rob, when um, when we we talk to you know the number of conversations we've had so far. It's a bit of a theme of just being bold, actually just going. You know what? I don't know how the heck I'm going to do this. I don't know anyone. I don't know the language even, but I'm just going to go. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to jump off the jump off the cliff, so to speak, and and hope that the net appears on my way down, so to speak. So, have you found that that's been something you've done um, consistently throughout your life, where how you as you've uh, you know moved into different opportunities and things? I think it is a consistent part of what's allowed me to take big steps forward. And you're right; it's it is something that uh, a lot of people demonstrate again in a lot of different areas of of business and life, they do have a crack and they do jump and hope, I like the way you put it, they hope the net will appear before they hit the ground. Uh, And in some cases, I've been very lucky and that net did appear. But did it appear, Robin? I want to explore this for you because there's uh, something that I often tell people, which is everything's going to be okay. Uh, And when when you start getting into the habit to making a leap, when you get into the habit of of being bold, uh, one thing I've noticed and in people like yourself, is there's so m- that you, we have so uh, many reserves as a human being that we never tap, and it's not until we push ourselves and make ourselves really work hard and bring all these synapses together that we make things happen. Now I think it's a double-edged sword here because the minute you start to be able to do that well, it becomes a bit of an addiction. Uh, h- how do you find that, Rob? How do you find the the, the sensation of being neutral? Uh, not pushing yourself versus, right, I'm going to go climbing without a rope today? I, I think it comes with time and you just have to learn to pick your battles. Uh, you know, some things are worth committing to and other things aren't 
so important. And I think a bit of time sometimes you, at least in my case, I'll sort of step back and say, well, does this really matter? Not just for, to me, but you know, to the people that I care about and the people that I interact with. And if you really stop and pause and consider, and sometimes it just may be more angst and possibly even ego uh, than the situation calls for. So I, I think uh, it is about choosing what's important and when to have an, that determination to step into the ring and make it work. And then other times, well, no, I might take my dog for a walk today. I think it's interesting you use the word uh, ego there, um, Rob, because a lot of the time the, the ego gets a big bashing as this, uh, you know, three-letter swear word or what do you want to call it, um, that it's this bad thing that it's that uh, that you know doesn't serve us anymore because of old stories or whatever it is. But I think, you know, in that context there, having uh, a lot of things I've found that have driven a decision to step up and step out of my usual comfort zone have had some level of involvement from the ego giving me a nudge. And so it's not, so I see it not always a bad thing. And I think a lot of people perhaps perceive it as such that it's like, oh, you know, you don't want to bring ego into that situation. But an ego in itself is not a bad thing, but people people clearly can tend to pigeonhole that as, oh, and I don't want to bring ego into everything. So I mean, what's your what's your take on that? Have you found that sometimes there's a bit of bravado, a bit of ego, a bit of something that's kind of got you to take that next step first? And then when you're there, you've gone, whoa, hang on. Okay, it's it's uh, this, is, this is working. It's the right choice. Yeah, that's a, a very good point. And I, I think is a, a natural part of what most people want to progress. Like, why does anybody do something that takes effort and there's risk if you don't want to stand out, if you don't want to stand up and stand out? So I think that uh, it, it's not inherently bad, but mm. there is a line in the sand with everything. And when ego stops being ego and starts becoming narcissism, uh, how do you discern where that line in the sand is? Well, I, I think it helps to have some people close to you who will pull you up and they don't have to tiptoe uh, and uh, worry about hurting your feelings. And I think it's possible to... Oh, it's that you need those people to pull your head in. <laughs> yeah, then you can harness the benefits of ego encouraging you to move forward without going to that point where it's not ego anymore, it's something darker and not healthy. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so Rob, let's go back. Let's, let's, what was it like when you la- landed in South Africa and uh, what, did you know that this was the, the person you're going to be working with? Was it uh, something that happened by surprise? What, how, how did you uh, find yourself in front of such a, a powerful uh, and incredible person. Well, I I had an idea that it would be uh, my training program. By the way, was a type of unarmed combat system, and it had a physical component, but it had a very non-physical element as well. There were communication strategies. It was a teamwork focus. It was leadership in a pressure situation, and my goal was to teach that to people who operated in high-risk environments, and watching the transition of what was taking place in South Africa and the, the serious troubles that they'd had during that process, I thought, if my program has any value, I think it does, but if it does, uh, then that's the place that uh, would really give me an opportunity to, to share that program. I didn't step off the plane thinking I will. I just thought, well, I'll start with the police or the military. So I had a very limited budget and I hitchhiked from Johannesburg to Pretoria 
that's their political capital. And I just walked into the headquarters of the South African police and I asked to speak to the station commander and out walks this very large, very white. My name's Rob Redenback, I'm from Australia and I've got this training program and I went to shake his hand and he wouldn't even shake my hand. And uh, then I explained why I was there and I had this training program and uh, I'd done a little bit of research and I knew that Mandela's presidential protection unit was the was a subunit of the South African police. And I went off on a bit of a tangent and I was speaking about Mandela and how impressive he was. And, uh, well, this guy was uh, not on the same bandwidth as me and uh, he wasn't impressed and, and uh, he basically told me to piss off and uh, get out of his police station. So I did and I went to another one to just walked into Soweto and then Bloemfontein and Cape Town and Durban and Petersburg. I did that for two months and for two months uh, people told me to piss off. Uh, you can't teach us anything. We're the best in the world. We don't have any money to pay you. We've never heard of you. Our instructors are the best in the world. You can't teach us anything. That was the conversation loop. I went to army bases and naval bases, and for two months I did that. And during those two months, that was a hard, hard slog. I wasn't thinking I will be able to teach Mandela's bodyguards. I just, I just needed a check <laughs> as an engagement because I <laughs> made a very limited budget and I was running out of money. Uh, and and, and uh, Got to eat, right? by the end of those two months, I thought, uh, I, I don't know what I could do. I was uh, literally living on oranges and biltong, and uh, I didn't know, uh, I didn't have, I actually didn't have enough money to get back to Australia. I'd arrived on a one-way ticket. So, Rob, what, what, what was the driver? What, what, was the, what was the actual driver for you to buy a one-way ticket with no certainty of having income when you got there to actually be able to come back home? and then continuously take piss off from every place that you looked at and went to, what, what, what the heck was dri- What was the motivator? What was driving you for, forward to do this? I believe that my program was a good program and uh, I, I believed that if I could just find one person that would give me an opportunity to sit down with them, explain how the program worked and, and let them participate and see how it was different to orthodox martial arts, to unrealistic choreographed training. I just really believe that someone, there had to be someone in South Africa that was smart enough to, and bold enough to just uh, take a risk. So that was my driver on one level. But also uh, I, I just, uh, yeah, by that stage, I think I was 30 years old and uh, I'd always worked for other people and I was just sick of it. You know, I just... I thought I can build on that and uh, then create a business model that I can then, um, that would then allow me to work in other places and do interesting work. So somewhere in that, it was just a case of believing in the program, believing there had to be someone out there. So it's such a common story, Rob, for, you know, and all of the people that listen to this podcast and the people that myself and Boo work with are all in business, business owners. And it's that, it really is that piece that if you've got the belief in what you do, you've got the belief and desire, that intrinsic motivator that's keeping you going, that's driving you forward, that says, even if you keep getting a no, a no, a no, or in your case, a piss off um, multiple times, that you don't just go, oh, well, I must be crap or my product's crap. But if you ultimately believe in it and just keep pushing and keep pushing i think it's uh, was it walt disney or something got got uh, you know re- uh, rejected by just about every single studio around and he went many 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 times you know, i think it was maybe even a hundred times or something before he actually got someone that picked him up and he because he believed in what he did and i think 
in a context of you know talking to you do you, you you talk about part of what you do is talk about leadership and and, and adapting and things like that based on on uh, on on the, what you've learned in your journey how could what what would a piece of advice be to business owners that do believe in what they do but are feeling a bit maybe a bit deflated or a bit uh, like you know do I just give this thing away like have you got any advice that you would give somebody Kind of on that borderline of going, I'm out of, I'm out of juice, I'm out of energy. Yeah, I encourage them to have a look at who they spend time with, who they interact with, who they listen to, what they read, what they watch, because I think that one of the, the things that uh, I realise over time is that you absorb what's around you. So if you've got a, a circle of not so much friends, but say call them associates, who don't take risks, who don't get that willingness to do the work, to sweat, as to quote Masayama, then I think that over a period of time, a person starts to absorb that same lower level of expertise. So if somebody's struggling, I, I would encourage them to say, well, you know, have a look at who you're bouncing your ideas off. Have a look at who's influenced you up until this point. And if it's not fueling you forward, then maybe it's time to sort of find some other people to interact with. Uh, and Rob, what do you, what do you think about the what, what do you what do you what's your opinion on the difference between uh, a good idea and a good belief that's not getting traction and a bad idea that's not getting traction. How, one of the things I I guess you see particularly in startups is someone thinks they've got a great idea uh, and and actually it just really isn't. Um, and how do you have those tough conversations with yourself to go, "Well, look, you know what? I was being bold because I know people talk about being bold, positive psychology, moving forward, but that's not a blank check for success. You can do all of those things, but still fundamentally be wrong. How do you run that check and balance in your own mind to make sure that you're not investing in things that perhaps aren't going to yield a result? Yeah, uh, I read a book uh, a while ago on a a self-made billionaire. I can't recall his name now, but uh, he was talking about how he thinks ideas are the most overrated thing in business. And I think that the... The, the difference between a good idea that can bear fruit and an idea that just sounds good around the barbecue or the bar is that usually there's a lack of sweat in the latter category. People, are, uh, they just they want a quick fix. They haven't really done the research. They're just looking for a silver bullet, come up with the idea, and then... Take on things such as you know, positive psychology, believe in yourself, yeah, I can make this work. But if there's no substance there, if they haven't done the sweat, then I think there's a good chance they'll end up flat on their face. So, Rob, uh, along the way here, you've written a book. Uh, I, I know when I, I wrote a book, it's bloody hard to do, a little bit like having a great idea, then you've got to execute it. What inspired you to uh, become an author? And what is it about what I didn't learn at Harvard you, you believe resonates in the world right now? Uh, I, I do a bit of speaking and I had over the years and uh, often people would come up and say, oh, look, I'm, and as a speaker, I hardly use PowerPoint. I just tell stories. I tell anecdotes and um, recount real life experiences. And often people would come up and say, I really like that story you know, when you're in Baghdad or that one about you being in Afghanistan or wherever. Uh, but you sort of cut it short. And I gave that some thought. It happened a lot. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just sort of jot it down and the book so that was the unfolding of it but what i find that uh, the feedback that i get is that it's people kind of have a tendency to read it on two levels one is it's just um, a type of um, 
I wouldn't say adventure story, but it's it, it's sort of a bit high paced. I talk about taking part in drug raids in the FBI in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and working with the SAS in the UK. And um, so there's a bit of action in it. So that's one level that people read it on it. But then the second level, and I think this is the more important level, it really does drive home some really key messages. Um, be bold, to step in, to have a go, without an invitation, without mm. a guarantee, without an expectation, and understanding that you know along the way you're going to meet different people. Some people will will definitely help you. You can learn from. They'll challenge you. Some people are going to be uh, the other end of the spectrum. They're going to hold you back. Their attitude, their outlook is going to almost encourage you to give up. And I think it becomes a case of, well, which one do you choose to follow? So that's what the book really encapsulates. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the feedback that I've had from a lot of different people and uh, some really rewarding feedback from veterans uh, and also some people in business and, you know, school teachers and university lecturers and IT planners. And even though the examples or the stories that I'm recounting uh, have nothing to do with their world, there's still a core message that they can connect with. Mm. And uh, from that point, it's been very, very satisfying to uh, share stories and the book with people. No, that's amazing, mate. And within the journey of everything that you've done, uh, obviously, uh, operating in uh, the Middle East, being in Iraq, working with the uh, SAS over in, in the UK. How do you deal with the emotion of being in those environments? Uh, I think one of the one of the challenges, let's call them first world problems, uh, the emotional connection people have with things that for you probably don't seem like a big deal. Uh, what, when you're operating in environments that test you emotionally, what are some of the tips that you have for people to just dial it back a bit uh, get the get the rage out of the head let the let, get the blood out of the fight flight or freeze response part of your body and uh, get the, the blood back into your head so you can start thinking yourself out of a situation what are your top tips for people who are feeling stressed overwhelmed and and ruled by emotion for, for those periods of time where life can be pretty damn challenging yeah i'm a firm believer in the value of controlled breathing And without uh, going down a a yoga path or anything like that, uh, because there are so many theories and technical approaches to what's the best method, if you can train yourself, and you'd know this, but as a pilot, if you can train yourself to reduce the physical responses when they start to become a physical overload, adrenaline dump, the loss of peripheral vision, the auditory exclusion, controlled breathing can dial it back, and it doesn't... Uh, mean that you're perfectly cool-headed. But uh, I've been in enough situations to know that if I, if I can control my breathing, then that enables me to then have at least a slightly better ability to control the emotional overload that can come with some... Uh, you have to invest proactively in making breathing a part of your arsenal. So... I, I practice my breathing. I'm a, a swimmer, so I'll swim six days a week, and that's when I'll focus on my breath, and that's when I part, I make it a part of me. But just telling someone to control their breathing when things get hairy, well, it won't happen if they haven't proactively invested in making controlled breathing a part of their daily routine. And how important how important is planning and, and preparation and being in a position where 
you you're prepared for something potentially going wrong. So for uh, a, a a quote I heard once was run your business every day as if you're going out of business the next day, uh, and and therefore you're always practicing the best best techniques techniques and investing in the right things. How important do you believe uh, to managing emotion is being prepared for situations? You can't prepare for everything, but as prepared as you can be. I think that 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 it's almost like I like what you just said there about the business. It's a variation of a saying I like. It's uh, a hope for the best, plan for the worst. And I think that it comes back to again the principle of kaizen of that continual improvement. And if I don't have the skill, if I don't have the knowledge, then I need again to proactively pursue that. If I'm waiting until the wheels fall off. And then I want to look around for the skill and the knowledge too late. Happens if you proactively invest in gaining appropriate knowledge and appropriate skill, is that that builds a level of confidence that's far more real than just, I believe in myself, I can handle anything that comes my way. Uh, When you really invest, when you sweat, I think over time that enables someone to deal with something that they don't want to deal with, but they, they can at least... Uh, say, well, I think I can find a way for this. And if I can't, I've got a network that might be able to help me. Uh, Robert, there's one thing that I think is, is thematic that's coming through, which is very common in these conversations, but the, the, the thematic relates to what you were saying there about part of it is about belief, that someone can believe that they're really great at something and then they, you know, maybe it's tennis or, or whatever, and then they play against someone who's substantially better than them. And suddenly they go, actually, maybe I'm that, that, not that good because I've played, you know, every second weekend for the last five years. But the, 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 the thematic that's coming through here and part of the whole continuous improvement or Kaizen philosophy um, to me is, is you know, the, the, my favorite C word that a lot of my clients get sick of hearing, consistency, um, is that if people don't do those small steps consistently and try and do big chunks inconsistently they're not going to get the same outcome they're not going to get the same result it's about small things and half a percent improvements here and there that add up that sorry that are done on a daily or a repetitious basis that actually give us those skills that often we don't know we have until we now get into that situation and i see it a lot when working and mentoring business owners when they are uh, you know using the the emotional uh, uh, swinging from high to low and up and down and excited to really upset and angry and fearful or whatever that can happen 57 times a day when people first get into business that when you actually see them develop that skill it's often not until something happens and I've seen this with a number of the clients I'm working with now because I've worked with them for uh, you know many years and I can see that development is it's now when these things are happening, like their business has been shut down for 17 weeks or they've gone from 300 grand a month to 50 grand a month in, in you know, three and a half, four weeks because of being put into a you know, lockdown situation or whatever it is. And now they're like, you know what? I've, I've looked at this situation and I'm actually not overly concerned. I know it's going to pass. I'm not losing sleep over it. Is it does it suck? Yes, it does. But I'm not reactive to it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, it's not triggering emotion anymore. And what I'm seeing is with those people, it's that consistency of effort. It's that consistency of focus on self-development, self-growth. And I honestly believe that our level of success in a broad term in our life is determined by the level of personal development we're willing to undergo. Because if we don't grow, then nothing around us is going to grow either. And as you've said, it's, it's related to the people that we surround ourselves with, 
but also that consistency. And, and that seems to be a real strong thematic, doesn't it, Boo, with these conversations that we have with, with our guests? Oh, ab- absolutely. And I think being consistent or <laughs> what I like to call people being boring, uh, it's a lot easier when you're, when you're doing something that's purposeful. Uh, I think, Rob, something that uh, struck, struck a chord with me and must be very um, fulfilling for you is your work with Bravehearts. Why don't you tell us a bit about that? And how you, how you became involved and how it nourishes you. Surely that's something that you must draw great, great personal reward from. Uh, I, I'm just so impressed by Brave Hearts, and it's uh, one of the great things about being a speaker. You get to go to a lot of different events and conferences, and you get insights into all sorts of industries, and you you meet some really interesting people along the way. and And I can't remember the last time that I've walked into a room, stood in front of a room full of strangers, which is key part of what I've done for years and just thought wow I, I really like these people I'm there's something special here and I had an opportunity to listen to some of their internal speakers before I spoke and by the time that I got up to speak I, I was really touched by the work they were doing and uh, and what drove them to do what they do and it's, it's actually a really ugly job they they work with uh, young kids that have been sexually abused. Um, and the statistics are in themselves frightening and, and sickening because a lot of that abuse comes from people that they know and trust and uh, they should be able to feel safe with. And uh, anyway, at the end of that uh, presentation, I just thought, well, you know, what, what can I do to be a better part of this? And then that was just before the restrictions of COVID. And then they invited me back to um, give a, an online presentation and you know, for some of the technical that we've uh, struggled with today, I'm not a fan of online anything. Uh, but uh, that, that led to a, a, another exposure to another group of people. And I thought, okay, this is really good. And, um, yeah, I've got a bit of spare time on my hands. So I, uh, I put a, a poetry album together just with uh, 10 poems that, I like, and I think they are a timeless guide. And then I, um, so I made that available to where all the profits go to Bravehearts. And then I'm doing a, another another print run of my book that's going to be published in January. And thanks to support from the team at Booktopia, we've set that up where people can purchase the book online. It's certainly I found that it's um, one of the things I've observed with people that pass the test of time is that they usually have an involvement in something bigger than themselves. And in no way am I saying that my contribution to the Bravehearts is is even particularly noteworthy, like it's it's such a small thing. But I do know that it's satisfying to at least be on the periphery of an organisation that does such good work. It's it's such an important uh, thing to work through. I mean, there's many business owners that I do and have worked with that have been uh, victims of of child abuse. And literally the first time they've actually expressed it is in, you know, sessions that we've done in in working through them as a business person and their blocks and the things that are holding them back and their inability to trust people close to them and all those sorts of things. So it's an incredible, um, incredible organization and supporting something that I think a lot of kids need to be, you know, extracted from those situations, but also given the support, um, you know, emotionally and psychologically as early as possible. So, you know, but and and I think adding to what you're saying there, um, Rob, is the is the the context that I think I think you know, I've seen so many people get to this point where it goes from being all about me, 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 
to actually start and go, well, I'm actually getting more reward making it not about me than I did when I was making it about me and I was driven by my ego and, you know, power and money and all other stuff that, that I think a lot of us go through those phases earlier on in our lives as we try and make our mark. But, you know, that, but I mean, have you seen that same trend with obviously in your own life, but others around you that it starts to shift to, uh, from, to a place of service? Yes, I think it, that's a perfect way to sum it up. It does shift to a place of service. And I think there's, uh, there's a good reason for that, and that is that it, it really does, when you, when you broaden that perspective, and interestingly, when I used to teach my unarmed combat program, one of the principles was that you, know, you need to participate for someone that you love or something that you love or a cause that you believe in, because when you do that, you tap in you know, drive that's bigger than yourself. And that's in a, a combative sense, but it definitely applies in business too. And when people do something genuinely to help their customers and their clients, you really can see a shift. Now, some people will say, you know, our, our team is our biggest asset, our people are the most important things, and it's just lip service. And you know it's just lip service. And then they'll talk about the importance of our customers' X whatever X may be, is the most important thing for us. But it's not true. But when it becomes true, when they really start to do benefit other people, uh, I think they go to another level of satisfaction. Oh, and another level of outcome, I believe, too. I think the, the, the impact when you see someone transition from that, you know, probably talking the talk, but not necessarily walking the walk by saying, yeah, our team's important, our customers are important, when you actually get them and see them shift into that, the the culture improves in their business. The 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 people that shouldn't be there leave, and new people come that are actually far better and and lift the whole team up, lift the business up, and their business grows by default because as it's that intentionality. Their intentionality is pure. Then it's about service and not you know, not taking from people. It's actually giving first. And if we give with that positive intent and the the right intent, I think you know I've seen it myself and with. You know, hundreds and hundreds of business owners that, that have developed into that same frame is that things start to happen with more ease. It's not as hard work. It's not as challenging as well. So one question that we'd like to ask um, our guests, uh, Rob, is, is if there's one thing that you've learnt in life and business that you could go back and tell a younger version of yourself, what would it be? Um, you know, if, if their outlook isn't healthy, if it's not good, uh, it's perfectly fine to walk away from that. I think that uh, somewhere in that it's it's the realisation that in some ways it's better to have no one around you rather than have someone that's destructive around you. And uh, I, I think that's what I would encourage the younger me. Yeah, that's awesome advice. You see that a lot actually. And um, it's not till people just make that decision and move away, they realise how destructive elements of, a, of their life uh, can be. And it's it's difficult to get that that different perspective. Hey Rob, thanks so much uh, for coming onto the few today. It's r- really really insightful. Um, it, it's interesting when you talk about sweat. Uh, and I think one more thing, just to to leave uh, on on a, on a high note here is when you hear sweat. I know when people hear people are talking about like genuinely successful people, not not hustlers, not people that you know manage to trick people into spending money or a quick buck. They talk about sweat and. It sounds hard. It sounds like hard work. But what is the benefit of hard work? Like when you're living your dream and your purpose and you're working hard, what's good about it? Where's the where's the thrill or the or the positive side of sweating? I think it's an insurance policy. 
against the day when you arrive and look back and you if you just see easy option after easy option after easy option, there can be no satisfaction in that. But if you've done the work, if you've had a go, if you've sweated along the way, made your mistakes, of course, but learnt and progressed, then you get to a point, and we all we will all get to that point where we will look back and we will see whether we've taken the easy options or not. So I think sweat is an insurance policy against the disappointment. I think it's a it's a reference of, or it makes me think of a, a reference which is you know calm seas don't make for a great sailor. Um, you know, and it's the same, that same philosophy as well, but, uh, really, really appreciate your time today, Rob. It's been a very, uh, very, uh, interesting conversation as they always are. And, uh, we appreciate your input. And again, you know, many thematics coming from, from our today's conversation that are very similar to those people that are, uh, are doing what they do. And the fact that, you know, success and, and people's ability to get in and do what they do. And, and I'm talking success in a way that the individual defines it, not, not in a monetary sense is that it, there, there's those that that success is driven by some core behaviors and some some core thought processes and they and and it's not some elusive thing that that everybody can actually follow the same pathway of of other people who have gone down there because it's left massive clues and all you've got to do is is you know follow those clues yeah thanks rob thanks so much for coming in today mate uh if you want to learn more about rob uh please get onto redenbuck.com that's r-e-d-e-n-b-a-c-h.com uh thanks again rob uh we're going to go out go do some sweating out between now and the next podcast my pleasure fellas This has been The Few Podcast with Boo and Sean. If you've got value from this episode and you would like to support us, please share it with your friends. If you're posting this on social media, use the hashtag The Few so we can see who's listening. The Few Podcast is recorded at Momentum Media in Sydney, Australia. To listen to more episodes, visit us at fewpodcast.com and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Dream big, keep pushing, and one day you can become one of the few. We'll see you next week.